blessing to me. All righty. Um, several years ago, uh, when my granddaughter Adele, yes, I'm going to tell you another grandparent story. Get over it. But um, my granddaughter Adele, when she was uh, uh, just a little infant, she was going for her first vaccination shots. Now, how many of your parents have been there with your kids? It's horrible. It's traumatic. I hated it with my kids. And they took my granddaughter into the doctor, and the doctor, you know, is, gives them the shots. And, and, and she had no idea what was, was coming, but the minute that needle penetrated her skin, she started to scream. And you know what it's like. You've got to put them in a headlock and hold them down while the doctor's doing his thing. And, and the kid's crying, and then you're crying, and it's miserable. So a traumatic experience. Well, my granddaughter went through that. A few days after that, I had no idea what was going on. A few days after that, I called just to see how my kids were doing. They live in Portland. I said, hey, guys, what's up? How you doing? I said, oh, man, we're doing okay, but Adele's still a little sore. Sore, what happened? Well, we took her in for shots. Oh, man. And, yeah, Nathan told me the story with great detail. And how Adele cried and how they cried. And, and as he's telling the story, I'm crying, which is no big surprise to those of you who know me. But why? Why did my son cry for his daughter? What did my daughter-in-law cry for their daughter? Because they love her. Because they they hurt when she hurts. Why did I cry for my children, for my granddaughter? Because I love them. Because when they suffer, I suffer. When they hurt, I hurt. And if that's the love of an imperfect father and grandfather, and trust me, I am an imperfect father and grandfather, if that's the love that I have for my kids, how much more does God love us? How much more does he care for us? My love for my children is only a faint echo of the love of God for every person on this planet and for every one of you sitting here this morning. I've entitled this message today, The Absolute Single Most Important Key to Everything. The Absolute Single Most Important Key to Everything. And I know very well that I'm at risk. It's sounding like I'm overstating something. Here he goes again. That I'm exaggerating, that I'm going to beat this thing, and you're going to go, ah, you know, it's not that big a deal. But trust me, I promise you when I say that this is the single, the absolute single most important key to everything, that it really is. The sad truth is, I lived half my life. Most of that in the church, not really understanding this truth as well as I'm getting to understand it today. And I want to share this with you. And so what is the absolute single most important key to everything? Here it is. First bullet in your outline. Knowing that the Father loves you beyond measure. Knowing that the Father loves you beyond measure. Now, again, some of you hear that and you go, yeah, right. How can that be the single most important thing to everything? Well, I'm going to get there. and You're going to see it in a moment. Some of you have heard that before. And my concern for you is that you're going to be a little apathetic, a little complacent. You'll hear something like that and you go, oh boy, another love talk, one from the pastor. And man, I've been praying all week for you that God would rock your world. In fact, just as we sit down here, I was praying, God, just drop a lightning bolt into their heart today. Because this is a truth that we have to know, we have to understand, we have to experience, and it's got to go deep and deeper all the time into our lives. We can't just talk about it, give lip service to it. We've got to experience and know. The Father's love for us, that love that goes beyond measure. And I want to say this too. It's not, listen, it's not what you do that matters most to God. And for some of you, that's a surprise, especially if you grew up Catholic. It's not what you do that matters most to God. It's what you know. And do you know His love? Do you know the Father's love? Do you know how much He truly loves you? More than all your good deeds and all your good words. And, you know, those are good. I just talked about our summer of service and caring for single parents. Those are great, but more. The point is more than all those things that we might do for God. He cares most that you see, that you know, and that you experience his love. That you see it, that you know it, and that you experience it every day. Too many in the church and certainly too many in our world have a grossly inaccurate view of God. Some see God as a guy who's constantly mad. They they talk about the wrath of God. 
And they think God's just ticked off all the time and they're terrified of that. Some, they might see God as great and kind and powerful and maybe even loving. But they don't see him as a passionate lover of their souls. They don't see that God truly is a passionate lover of their souls. John, who was a disciple of Jesus, uh, wrote these words long ago in 1 John 3, 1. And I love this, this verse. He said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. See, experience, know, taste, feel, engage. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Not what we hope to be. Not if we get everything right. Not if we do all the things we're supposed to do. But that is what we are. The love of God is not a limited love. The love of God is not a little love. It is a great love. And it's a love that is lavished on us. I love that word. It's an extravagant love that's been abundantly poured out on us. It's kind of like standing underneath a big old waterfall. I, I know if you'd stood underneath Niagara Falls, you'd die. But just for the sake of example, imagine that you're at the base of this amazing waterfall and it's just drenching you to the bone. Every part of you is just wet to the, to the core because of this love, because of this water that's being poured on you. That's the love of God for us. That's his love for you and for me. And the reason why I say without any hesitation and with lots of boldness that it is the single, absolute single most important key to everything is because when you get that, when you understand the love of God, when you understand it, when you have a true revelation of the love of God for you, it changes everything. Why is it the single most important key to, to everything? Because when you get it, and to the degree that you understand it, to the depth and dimension that you get this, it will change everything in your life. It'll change everything. A guy named Paul, who wrote nearly half the New Testament, uh, was a brilliant man, a thinker of thinkers, educated in that culture, extremely well-educated, a bright, smart fella. He was brilliant. But the single most important driving force in Paul's life was not knowledge. It was love. He's the guy that wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 13, which a lot of us have heard at weddings, the love passage. He's the one that wrote that love. He's the one that wrote Romans chapter 8, how nothing can separate us from the love of God. The death can't, life can't, nothing can separate us. That is the basis for the song we sang earlier this morning. He understood the love. It was the driving force in his life. And he understood deeply. He deeply understood this unbelievable and unconditional love of God. But I could go to a lot of passages that Paul wrote. I want to land this morning on Ephesians chapter 3. And I, I, it's a prayer that Paul prayed for a church in Ephesus, a city in his time, that he actually planted that church. He started that church. And he prayed this prayer for them, and it's my prayer for us, and I, I want to unpack this and land on this today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, latter part of the verse. Paul says, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Now, use that God-given imagination you have. See what's going on here. Paul isn't just, you know, bowing his head and closing his eyes and doing a nice little table prayer. He is... So engaged, so passionate about this, he fall, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his, God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I talked about trust last week. As you trust in him, your roots, listen, your roots will go deep, grow deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you, here's his prayer, it's the second part, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, as we should understand, how wide and long and high and how deep his love is. 
May you experience, there it is again, know, taste, feel, engage. May you experience, not just know, but experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete. When? When you get it and experience that love. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then Paul wraps up his prayer. I think at this point he's, he's probably shouting, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And a good place for an amen right there. Amen. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, a church that he loved deeply, a church that he invested a lot in. And why did he pray this prayer for the church? Why is knowing the love of God so important to him and to us? Well, I'm going to give you three things that happen when we forget that love, tend to happen in our lives when we miss it, and three things that happen when we remember. Here's the first one, number one. When we forget, we become works-focused. When you and I forget the, the love of God, we tend to become works-focused. We, when we forget the unlimited, unconditional, and powerful love of God for us, we begin to lean on our power and our ability in some futile attempt to earn something we already have. I've said it before. I will say it many times again. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than He does right now. Let those words sink in. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. His love for you is not based on your performance. And we don't get that. We wrestle with that because human love is so often based on performance. Do good things, get A's in your report cards, stay out of trouble, I'm going to love you. Bring home lots of money, give me all the stuff I need and want, then I'm going to love you. But in our relationship with God the Father, it's never based on performance. Never has been, never will be. And that phrase really ticks off the hyper-religious and the self-righteous. Because for them, they tend to focus on the to-dos. They tend to focus on an ethical code. They always land on, yeah, I know God loves us, but... There's always an exception clause with them. And yet the truth is, God loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter what. He always has, He always will. And that love is an unfailing love. Too many have forgotten. Too many have never understood that Christianity is all about being loved and then falling in love with Jesus. And if you're investigating Christianity today, let me make this clear to you. Because a lot of confusion out there about this. Becoming a Christ follower is not about doing all the right things. Now, aren't there things I'm supposed to do? There are things God will ask you to do. There are things God will ask you not to do. But that's not where it starts. That's not the focus in our relationship. Keyword relationship with God the Father. It's all about love. And the beginning of our relationship, even in a human sense, starts with love. And in, with our, in God and our relationship with Him, it's absolutely true. It's all about Christianity. It's all about seeing, experiencing, being loved by the Father. And then in response, loving Him in return. It's loving Him. Brennan Manning said it this way. Jesus loves us as we are and not as we should be, since none of us is as we should be. And boy, isn't that true. Jesus loves us as we are and not as we should be. He's not going to wait to love you until once you get everything all cleaned up and fixed in your life. No, He loves you now. He loves you just the way you are. Often, sometimes, our greatest struggle is believing that we are loved and accepted. That's our greatest struggle. I talk with people all the time. They, are, they, they wrestle with that simple truth. They don't get, they don't understand that they are the object of God's delight. Let me say this, and let me say it so clearly that I hope nobody misses this. You. Yep, you. 
are the object of God's delight. He delights in you. Yeah, but! No. No yeah, buts. He delights in you. You see, we can't just give lip service to the love of God, this unconditional, amazing, all-powerful love of God. Too often they say, yeah, but God, I, I know God loves me. I get it. Yeah, but there's certainly I got to know more. I got to do more. I got to be more. I got to stop this or start that. And they throw into the mix this yeah, but, but there is no yeah, but with God. There never is. God's always going to love you. He has always loved me. He will always love me. He has always loved you. He will always love you. And here's another kicker. God knows everything about you, but he loves you nonetheless. And that'll rock your world once you understand that. Every thought, every word, everything you thought nobody knew, the secrets that, you know, even your wife, your husband, boy, they don't even know. The, everything. God knows it all. Everything, and yet he loves you nonetheless. That's the love of God. But too many are works-focused. They're trying to earn something they already have. They're always trying harder, and that's a depressing way to live. It is a frustrating, depressing way to live. But living loved, living loved will bring more joy than you could ever imagine. And we'll talk more about what that looks like in just a moment. Here's the second thing. When we forget his love, we become worry-driven. We become worry-driven. I uh, spoke to this last week. We talked about worry and trust, so I'm not going to unpack this too much. But when I say we become worry-driven, it's when we forget how big God's love is for us and how much he loves us, we tend to stress out and fret about things that God has promised to provide for us. When we don't see our value to him, when we don't really understand how priceless and precious we are to God, then we tend to live lives that are worry-driven. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 25 to 26, Therefore, now the therefore, by the way, he just talked about not putting your treasure in, uh, in things on earth, but in heaven, that no one can serve two masters. You can only serve one or the other and can't love both God and money. And, but then he goes, and therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And then he says, look at the birds of the air. And maybe he pointed at a flock of birds flying over. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. He takes care of them. And then he makes this incredible connection for us. Are you not much more valuable than they? Look at the birds. They don't worry and fret and stress. God takes care of them. And Jesus made it so clear. You're so much more valuable. So much more important than God. When my kids were growing up, we had all sorts of critters. We had cats and dogs and uh, hamsters. We lost one once in the house, never did find it. I think a cat ate it, but the cat wouldn't own it, so I don't know. We had goats and we had chickens and we had all sorts of critters. It was just fun. And as a responsible adult, as a responsible animal owner, I always provided food and shelter for the animals, for the critters, always. Always took care of them, always provided food and shelter. But I got to tell you, if it came to a point where I had to choose between feeding the chickens or feeding my children, my children are always going to be first. I will kill a chicken to feed my child. Can I get an amen from that? I'll do whatever I have to because why? Because, yeah, I will care for this bird. I will care for that stupid pygmy goat. But I, I love my children so much more. Compared to the critters, to, compared to the animals, man, no, no question about it. My children are priceless. They're far more valuable to me. And that's the way it is with you and God. He cares for his kids. And because he loves you, you don't have to worry. We can be like David who wrote in Psalm 13:5, I trust in your 
unfailing love. Love, that little word, unfailing. I trust in your unfailing love. But when we forget his love, we live lives that are worry-driven. Here's one more thing. When we forget his love, number three, we tend to wander aimlessly. We tend to wander aimlessly. Back in Ephesians 3.17, Paul uses a very important phrase. He says, when Christ makes his home in your hearts, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Another translation of that phrase puts it this way. You will be rooted and established in love. Paul's using two different metaphors here. He's saying you can have deep roots and then a firm foundation. Deep roots and a firm foundation. When we are rooted, deeply rooted in the love of God, then we become like an oak tree that's not easily blown over by the storms that come. How many of you had storm this last week or two in your life? Yeah, I mean, we experience that all the time. And Paul wants your roots to go deep so that when the storm blows and comes, and it does, it will, when that happens, you're not knocked over or like a tumbleweed just blown all over the place. And he says he wants you to have this firm foundation. The picture there is a foundation for a home. He wants you to have this firm, solid foundation so whatever is built upon that will last. When I talk to Christians who have forgotten, who have never, or perhaps they've never really understood the love of God for them, they tend to be the ones without any sense of purpose or direction in their lives. For them, life is more like riding in a bumper car. I was at a wedding last night. In fact, I got a picture of this bumper car. Isn't that cool? That's in some guy's garage. Why it's in the garage? I don't know. But I saw it. I thought, I got to take a, I had the story already in my, my notes. I said, I'm going to take a picture of that. That's a bumper car. And this is the way too many of us live lives. We're in the bumper car of life, trying to steer. Ever try to steer a bumper car? They really don't go where you want them to go. You're trying to go, and, but every time you think you're going one direction, somebody comes along and bam, hits you on the side and jerks you some other direction. Too many live lives like the bumper car experience. We just, we don't have any firmly planted roots. We're not building on a solid foundation of an understanding of God's love, especially. And so we just keep getting bounced around, knocked one direction or another. I know a guy, a friend of mine, for over a decade. I knew him most of his life. He was in his 30s, and for over 10 years... It broke my heart every time I saw him because I realized he just doesn't get it. For over 10 years, he wandered aimlessly, had no idea what God had planned for him, had no idea what God wanted to do with him. But one day, and this is what I love about the Word of God, one day he read that passage that I read earlier from 1 John, how great the love of God that he's lavished lavished on us, that that we should be called the children of God. He read that. And a light went on. Just something clicked. He got it for the first time in his life. That's why I love the word. Because you can read a thousand times and all of a sudden something just goes bam. It's like this lightning bolt. Just boom. He got it. And what, got, what, what, what struck him, because he, he had two kids, what struck him is, I am a father, an imperfect father, and I want the very best for my kids. I want them to have a better life than I have. I want them to know more than I know. I want them not to make the stupid mistakes I made. I want the very best for my children. Every good parent would say, yeah, I want something better for my children than I've even experienced. And when he read that passage, it dawned on him, I want the best for my kids. I, I, I have dreams and hopes for them. And if I'm God's child and he loves me that much, if he's lavished his love on me, then surely God must have a plan for me. Then God must have some purpose for me. And from that moment on, his life took a one he radically changed. From that moment on, when, when from the moment he, understand that he understood that he was loved by the Father, that he was a child of the Father, his life changed, and he began to discover God's purpose for him. Here's the problem. If you don't believe that God loves you, pricelessly loves you, values you above all else, if you don't know that, if you don't know that God radically loves you, 
then you won't believe that he even thinks about you, let alone cares for you or has a plan for your life. Why is this so important? What does this have to do with wandering aimlessly? If you don't truly, in your heart, in the deepest part of you, believe that you are valuable and priceless to God as his child, then you're not going to believe that he's got something great for you. You're not going to believe he has a purpose for you. You're not going to believe there's something awesome and wonderful for you because you don't think you're worthy of it. You'll think yourself as unworthy of his attention. And so you'll wander aimlessly rather than wonder at his love. And I don't want anybody to wander aimlessly. I want you to wonder at his love. Those are the things that happen, can happen when we forget his love. Let me quickly cover some things that happen when we remember it. When we remember his love, number one, every decision we make and everything we do is filtered through this grid. What grid? The grid of God's love for us. When you remember it, and that's the key part in this, you've got to remember it. You've got to live it. But to the degree that you remember, live, walk in the love of God for you. When you do every decision, and I again know I risk sounding like I'm overstating it, but I'm not. To the degree that you get it, every decision in your life, everything you do will be filtered through that grid. When you know you are loved by the Father, you will have this great internal driving force in your life that will motivate you to want to reflect and respond to that love. When you get it, when you understand it, and it's so deep inside of you, then you'll get up in the morning and you'll, the first thought will be, Father, what do you want for me today? What can I do? When you see a need, God, do you want me to meet that? When you reach into the life of someone else, you say, God, what, do you, what gift do you want me to give to them? Father, how can I reflect your love for me today? How can I respond to the love that you've given to me? By loving others, loving people all around me. Everything in your life, to the degree that you remember the love of God. Now, are we ever going to remember that you know, all the time, every minute of every day? Probably not as long as we're in these earth suits. I've, I've been working on it for about 25 years now, and I'm still not there. But I, I'm, I'm, I want to grow more. I want to live more aware. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Think back when you first fell madly in love with somebody. Hopefully it's somebody you're sitting next to right now. But anyhow, when we first fall in love, we're in what's called the romance stage of the relationship. Now, I've talked about this before, how all these different stages, romance leads to, you know, there's trouble, which leads to the valley of disillusionment, which leads to joy when you stick to it, which leads to more romance. And it's the cycle. I've dealt with that. I've talked about that before. Don't have time to unpack that again. But when you're in that romance stage, when you're there, How often do you think about that person you love? All the time. Women are doodling the name, you know, and and playing with their, you know, what does Sally Bubna look like? You know, and they're, they, okay, I should have said Laura Bubna, huh? We think about them all the time. You wake up, you're wondering when you're going to run into them, when you're going to see them. You, you, throughout the day, you'll call them. You'll want to talk to them. When you go to bed at night, they'll be the last person on your mind. The thing, you, every decision you make, every decision you make will be affected by that love. Women, you will shave your legs twice as much as you do now. <laughs> Men will actually think about whether she likes this shirt or not. They'll actually care about the way they dress for a while. Women will lather on the makeup. Men will lather on the antiperspirant. Why? Because we think about that person. Every decision we make is a reflection of them. Women will make this fantastic, incredible meal for you. And men will sit there thinking, 
praying to God that they don't burp or do have any other bodily noises in the midst of that great meal. Why? Why do we care? Because we are romantically, passionately in love. And there's that, that, that overwhelming sense of everything I do is affected by my love for them. I know that we can't live there in the human sense all the time. And I know that we can't live there in our relationship with God all the time. But it's certainly a worthy goal. And I want to become more and more of a person who every day thinks, Father, how can I reflect the love that you've given to me? How can every decision I make reflect what you've done for me? The Apostle John, in a book called Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, wrote to this church in Ephesus. Now, the letter Ephesus that I read from Paul wrote to his friends in the church. Years later, years later, John wrote of this church, wrote to this church in Revelation chapter 2. And he said to them, I know you guys are doing good. I'm paraphrasing. You've done so many great things. The do. He said, do. D-O. You got an A-plus on the do. But here's the problem. You've left your first love. John wrote to this very church. And he said, guys, return. Return to that very first passionate love that you have. You see, the sad truth is we humans sometimes drift and wane in our passion for God and for one another. But guys, listen to me. God's love never changes, never gives up, never gives up. He always loves us. And to the measure that we remember that love, we'll return that love to him. And our decision will be impacted by his great love for us. That's the first thing that happens when we remember. Here's the second thing. And it's closely related to this. The second thing is obedience will not be a burden, but a delight. When we remember the love of God for us, when you remember it for you, obedience will not be a drag. I mean, for some Christians, obedience is the O word. Oh, man, I hate it when the pastor talks about the things they ought to do, should do, could do, might do, supposed to do, all the commands. I, and you'll, if, when you don't understand how much you're loved, that tends to be the reaction. You focus on the do again. But when you understand that you're loved, obedience will be not a burden but a delight. Here's a little phrase I want you to remember. Write it down if you're taking notes. We obey God best when we know we are loved most. We obey God best when we know we are loved most. Not only will that love filter everything, every decision, but when God asks you to do something hard, and listen to me, guys, God's going to ask you to do something hard. Why? Because he wants you to grow. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to, he doesn't stretch you because he's mean. He does it because he wants to develop you. But when God asks you, when everything in your life is filtered through this love and you know his love, then it, it will not be a burden for you anymore. In fact, instead of the ought to's, it'll be the why not's. Instead of the ought's, it's going to be the why not's. Instead of I ought to do that, it's like, why wouldn't I want to? When we want to obey him, it's because we know that he loves us. And it won't be out of obligation or just duty, but because we've seen and experienced his great love for us. I read a story a long time ago about a missionary in India. And uh, she went with her husband and two children to serve and to to bless and to preach the gospel to Indians. And she sacrificed a great deal, sacrificed her health, got malaria and other physical issues, sacrificed their financial security, didn't have a 401K, didn't have anything. Sacrificed, eventually, even one of her children died from a disease that uh, he contracted there. And she was asked by a friend, how do you do it? How have you survived so much difficulty in your life? And I love her response. She said, by remembering the love of the Father who gave his one and only son for me. And how could I do any less in response to his sacrificial love? 
How have you survived? How have you kept going? How have you suffered and struggled and fought? And how have you been so faithful in your obedience? By remembering the love of the Father who gave His one and only begotten Son for me. John 3.16, probably the best known scripture verse on the planet. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whosoever, King James, whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that He sacrificed. She said, I, it has not been something that I have regretted for one moment. I have done it. I've, I've done more than survive because I've remembered. I've remembered His great love for me. I've remembered His great passion and His great sacrifice for me. Obligation and legalistic control might force you to obey for a while. You know, and I grew up in that kind of church. As long as they were watching me, I was good. But the minute I was on my own and nobody was around, I was not so good. Obligation, legalistic control might force us to obey for a while, but only love, only love can motivate us to want to obey from the heart. That's why this is so important. Love changes everything. But here's one last thing that happens when we remember his love. Number three, instead of being a blight, we'll be a light. I know I'm kind of rhyming there, but... But man, too often in my experience, in my 54 years in the church, too often the church has been anything but a shining light in the world. Too often we've been a sliver or a bad tooth. We've been something ugly and and vile and far from what God meant for us and means for us to be. You know, one of the amazing things about Jesus, you read the Gospels, read the book. One of the amazing things about Jesus is that uh, really bad, horrible, messed up sinners like to hang out with him. Everybody ever noticed that before? That the scum of the earth seemed to be attracted to Jesus. They were drawn to him so much so that some would come and weep over his feet with, and, and wash his feet with their tears and then wash his feet with perfume. They were drawn to him. He never compromised. He never sinned. He never forgot who he was. But he never condemned, listen to me, he never condemned or rejected anyone. The only people he got in the face of were the self-righteous Pharisees. He never, never rejected. In fact, John 3.16 is really well known. John 3.17 is not as known, but it should be. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Yes, God loved the world so much that He gave His Son, and He didn't send His Son to condemn the world. It breaks my heart. It ticks me off. When I see people standing on the sidelines of events and things that are happening with signs that say, God hates homosexuals, breaks my heart because he doesn't. He wants to save them from their sin just as he saved us from ours. And their sin is no worse than ours. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And when we get an attitude of self-righteousness and we get ugly, it is so far from the heart of God. It is so far from the way God is. He loves people. In their worst possible condition, worst possible place they can be. And people like that were drawn to Jesus. Why aren't they drawn to the church more often? I want to suggest it's because we're not demonstrating and reflecting the love of the Father. I'm not talking about Jesus didn't compromise. Well, did Arthur, you get wait, but Arthur, you look. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Sure, there are things that God cares about and things that He wants to change, but it doesn't start there. It starts with, oh God, You've loved me more than I can ever possibly imagine. I don't deserve Your love, and yet You love me. And when we get that love, why don't we give that love to others? Why don't we love them the way He does? 
Too often the church has been known for what they're against rather than for what they should be for, and that's the love of God. Jesus wrote this in John 13. One last passage and I'm done. (laughs) John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus spoke these words. A new command I give to you. Love one another. Now, some of us, sadly, we read that and, and we imagine the disciples sitting around the Last Supper. Jesus says, new command I give to you guys. And you're, we're imagining they're going, oh, good. another one. I mean, I barely got the last ten down, Jesus. Now you're giving me a new command. Somebody's writing this down because I'm not going to remember it. Isn't that the way a lot of us imagine that? I know for years that's the way I did. Because for me, the obey, the, the O word was, a, was, an o, was, a, was bad. Obey. A new command I give to you. Oh, command. Oh, I got to obey something else. But I don't believe for a second. I don't believe for one second that that's what the disciples thought. Prior to this, you know what Jesus did? It, said to, it says that to show them the extent of his love, he took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He took a basin of water and he knelt down and he washed the feet of the disciples. He took the grungy, dungy, ugly, toe-jam-infested feet and he washed them. Every one of them, he washed their feet. Why? It says in there to show them the extent of his love. They knew he loved them. And so my, I have a whole other perspective on this now. When I read this and when Jesus says, a new command I give to you, I think they leaned in. <gasps> All right. Why? Because they knew they were loved by him. Because the response of their heart was, oh God, I, I, want, to, I want to honor what you've done. A new command I give to you, love one another as. And then if he'd stopped there, that would have been enough. Then he adds this, as I have loved you. Oh, sacrificially. He loved them, accepting, embracing, touching the lepers, the, the, the worst of the worst. The people who were outcasts in that society. He embraced them as I've loved you. And then Jesus makes a statement again that just rocks me. It just, it hurts me when I read this because Jesus said, by this, by how much you know, no. By how much you do, no. By how smart you are, no. By carrying a Bible to the break room at work, no. By putting bumper stickers all over the back of your car as you flip people off and run around like a crazy man that says God loves you, no. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's love. It's love. We are to love as we've been loved. And when we do, I I I believe with all my heart that people will find us irresistible just as they found Jesus. They'll be drawn to him because they know the love of the Father through us. And so my prayer for us is Paul's prayer for the church. May you know his love deeper and better. May your roots go deep and may you have a firm foundation of his love in your life like you never have before. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you.